You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 187, Mark Scandrett and Unconventional Christianity. It is time to step outside the box, my friends. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience, and I'm super excited to have this conversation. First of all, I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here, for downloading. Um, If you haven't jumped on our mailing list, you can do that at halfwaytherepodcast.com. Never miss an episode. Make sure you subscribe. And if you want to, leave a review. That's always helpful. Other people read them and can say, hey, that's uh, that's a show I'd like to listen to. Uh, today, our guest, I'm excited to, to make this uh, connection. He's an author. He's a globally recognized expert on practical spiritual formation. As you guys know, spiritual formation is my thing. So I had to talk to him when I got the chance. And uh, <laughs> our guest is Mark Scandrett. Mark, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, great to be with you, Eric. I'm excited to just talk to you again. So you were good enough. You came to our church, I don't know, a few months ago, maybe now. And yeah, uh, it was terrific. It was really fun. Uh, it was great. Got to hang out with you and your wife. And um, we just, I learned a lot. So that was really helpful. We've been doing team meetings. You talked about family meetings. And oh, awesome. <laughs> we've That's been great. practicing on oh, the holidays, mess us up a little bit. We're getting back into, into the schedule and, uh, that was really helpful. So I appreciate that. thought you'd want to know that. But tell us a little bit about you and kind of where God has you right now. Sure. Um, I, I'm married to a woman named Lisa. We've got three young adult kids. Uh, we live in the Mission District of San Francisco, uh, where we've been for uh, 22 years now. And uh, I'm co-founder of an organization called Reimagine, and we're passionate about helping people um, apply the teachings of Christ to the messy details of everyday life. And so for a long time, that meant um, lots of people in our living room, in workshops, and things we called labs in in San Francisco. And since I started uh, writing books and traveling more extensively, my, my work takes me all over the world. And I run online cohorts with leaders and train pastors in spiritual formation and do uh, workshops, practical workshops on five continents now. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's, uh, it's been, it's a long ways to go. That's, that's kind of neat to take. I mean, when you get the opportunity, I mean, that's fun. So do you, you enjoy that? Is that like, uh, is this anywhere close to where you thought you'd end up? I didn't have a lot of preconceived notions about where I would end up. And, And it sort of worked out well for me that way to, have low expectations, and then you're always surprised by good things that happen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's cool. All right. Well, I love that. So I mentioned we, you know, we met through just one of those workshops that you were doing. That was about the family and kind of creating healthy families. Um, certainly, we found it helpful, and I know I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit as we go. Um, you're in San Francisco now. Where did you grow up? Um. I'm a military brat, ah. so I was born in Heidelberg, Germany, okay. on a U.S. military base. Uh, spent a little bit of time in uh, the suburbs of Chicago, Rapid City, South Dakota, but I would say I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. And then when I was 16, we abruptly moved to rural Alabama, where I spent my last year of high school, 
and my first couple of years of university. Okay. Yeah. What, what effect did that have on you? I think, um, well, first of all, I wasn't from Minnesota originally, so, mm-hmm. um, we always felt a little bit other than the the Scandinavians that we grew up among, uh-huh. and um, I think it was it wasn't it wasn't my choice to move to Alabama at 16 years old, but it was a really great formative experience for me to be. I was a I was a artistic city kid, and to be plopped into a small town Alabama mm. was probably really good for me. Yeah. Good, Good stretching experience <laughs> right yeah okay so what was the spiritual climate like in your in your family um my parents were um they would they the way they would narrate the story is that they grew up in kind of a legalistic church environment uh holiness traditions um sort of free methodist uh wesleyan uh tradition okay and they were trying to innovate from that themselves. So they got involved in the Navigators um, when my dad was uh, in Germany in the military. And, um, you know, we're, my parents would say they were born-again Christians. Uh, that was a term that I think was used a lot yeah. uh, with baby boomers to say, I'm not just into civil religion, but this is an alive thing and a relationship with God. And so I grew up in an environment that was – um, really pretty, pretty cultivated. Like faith was a big part of our lives. We prayed together every day, read some scripture, had table conversations. And I saw my parents really trying to live out their life with God. Wow. I think, yeah, I think in some amazing ways. Yeah. Well, that sounds like it does sound amazing. I was about to use that word. I think it's, uh, that's really, it sounds like a really good foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were, you know, really sincere and I, I picked up from that environment, you know, I think a real spiritual sensitivity. Um, and yeah, I don't know what else to say, but yeah, it was, no, that's it good. Was, it, it, it felt, it felt different than a lot of my friends. Like, um, I, I think a lot of my friends grew up going to church, um, but for our family, it felt more personal. And so I, when I became an adult, I would often say, you know, Christianity itself or as it's practiced in America, isn't that attractive to me, but I couldn't walk away from the vitality I saw in my family. I, these were sincere people who really tried to live a Jesus lifestyle. And so that inspired me. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. How did it become your own? Well, I have that common story of Mm. um, getting scared into praying the Jesus prayer. Yep, yep. (laughs) When when I was three years old, right? And um, that was actually, in retrospect, pretty traumatizing. Yeah. Be told. uh, I mean, in the most loving way possible, my parents said, "Yeah, you're you're going to hell." Yeah. (laughs) And. um, uh, because of your sin, but Jesus died on the cross, and there's this transaction you can make. If you say you believe in him, all your sins are forgiven, and you get to go to heaven to be with God someday. And they, it was so important to them. I, I can remember the look on their faces when I prayed that prayer. 
Jesus come into my heart, they were so grateful, yeah. you know, and it made us feel so close. Right. Um, later on, I looked at that and thought that wasn't really a good start to a, a spiritual life because it started with so much fear. And I literally thought as, uh, as I got into my, into later grade school, like, who is this God? If God wants to send three-year-old boys to hell, <laughs> I didn't even know what sin was yet. Right. Yeah. Right. No kidding. Wow. So you were having those thoughts even as a, as a grade schooler, huh? Yeah. And then, um, and I wasn't a good church. What I, I wasn't a good church kid. I was, a, a um, like, it just didn't suit me. Um, I was a little too active and a little too artistic and, um, even in my family, I didn't pay that much attention at family devotions and, I made jokes during family prayer time to get everybody laughing. <laughs> but um, we eventually went to a Lutheran church. And as a, like a precursor to confirmation, we went around the summer before seventh grade and visited different churches. And um, I remember doing what I usually did, was, which was not pay attention to what was going on in church at all. But I was having some philosophical thoughts and I I, you know, like looking at it, like through a psychological developmental lens, I was hitting formal operations in Piaget's terms. And I was like, what is life about? And, and, um, who am I and who, who's God? And so I, I was in a strange church on a field trip and I not, it had nothing to do with what was going on in the service. I, I was in my own thoughts and it just said, God, if you're real, I want to know you and try and follow your ways. So um, reveal yourself. And in my background, you know, your next step is to start reading the Bible and yeah. trying to understand it. So I picked it up and started started reading it. Um, and this is something that, you know, that maybe sounds a little funny, but part of, part of it was, my sexual awakening, you know, like I had my first kind of wet dream orgasm and I'm like, Oh my goodness, I could, I could get a girl pregnant and I have <laughs> desires inside me that are really, really intense. I, I better, I better find a, like a good, uh, like a true North or else I could get in a lot of trouble. Yeah. And, Which is that fear again, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I think probably. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, so so yeah, I think that's definitely it's interesting because you know our faith plays into all those things, right? Our faith faith definitely um will will lead us on a certain path. So okay, so you so you were kind of you it sounds like you were you were in church, you were kind of following this. Um, how so? Tell us you know, what else happened and how you kind of, were there any formative events there when you kind of felt like you were kind of becoming? Yeah, um, I, I, I think, you know, now I look back and I go, you, I think you might've mentioned, I don't know if you mentioned already, I'm an Enneagram four. Oh yeah. I don't feel like I fit in. I have an, a desire to feel special. And I, I think I kind of adopt, I was like the, I was like the God kid in my middle school. Um, I carried a Bible to school. I read it. I started reading 
theology and kind of adult books when I was 13 and um, was really encouraged to share my faith with other people. So I was handing out four spiritual laws at school and um, was kind of a, a freaky kid, I think, in some ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I wanted to, uh, yeah, I wanted to be extreme about something. And um, in my protective family, this was something I could go with, I guess. You You could go all in on. Yeah. yeah. So I was reading the Bible for two or three hours a day, memorizing big portions of scripture. Gotcha. I swore off rock music and television, just listened to classical music and oh wow. Praise praise and worship music. Yeah. And this is your form of rebellion as a as a teenager? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well. All the while dressing like a punk rocker. Or of wanting course. to. Yeah, nice. Okay. <laughs> Very interesting. All right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So complicated, maybe. What? Uh, yeah. So, so how did you tell? Tell me more about. I just want to know more about your. So you're learning. You're studying all these things. Did you find an outlet for those kind of things? Obviously, you're evangelizing. But what other kinds of ways yeah. did you start to maybe serve? And it could um, be could be you know going up into as you left high school or I don't know when whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, another curious wrinkle was well, I I wanted to do something. I didn't want to just believe. I wanted to practice uh, following the way of Jesus. And so um, I would I'd try and make connections with what I'd read in the Gospels in my everyday life. So like, you know, Jesus, well, you know, who's my neighbor? What is, you know, the Good Samaritan story. I was like, I, I need to be friends with people who don't have friends and yeah. um, offer welcome to in my in at that time, it was a long time ago. But if you were a minority person or someone whose parents split up, you were kind of second class. And so I went out of my way to be friends with folks like that, uh, out of my faith. And oh, that's really yeah, interesting. Tried to, tried to be a caring friend. Yeah, um, that was a big step. That sounds like it was really formative because I've, you know, I've seen some of your posts on Facebook, for instance. Right, you. Uh, a lot of it's some of those same themes, right? Do you feel like learning learning those things early shaped the way that you approach? I think so. Others later, um, I I would say an, another shaping thing for me was um, the summer after all this happened. I signed up to be a children's evangelist with an old school evangelical organization called Child Evangelism Fellowship, and I went around. Um, to people's backyards and inner city housing oh, projects. Yeah. I've heard of doing that. these cl clubs. Yeah. They were called five day clubs. And so I was trained in a method for how to communicate the gospel. And I did it hundreds of times and spoke to thousands of kids over the next two or three years. And I think it really got me familiar with the evangelical Christian message and that was sort of the beginning of my deconstruction, if you yeah. will, because it was all about after you die. And I, and I was um, interacting with kids who were in these places of trauma and poverty, and I thought, these, these kids need something for now, not for just later. And it, And 
is, is the gospel I'm sharing with them what Jesus said that the gospel is or something else? Yeah, that's a powerful question. <laughs> that, yeah. It's a dangerous question to ask, actually, right, in some places. And so gradually I came to sense that the, what was often described as the reductionistic gospel about individual salvation in heaven wasn't the whole thing. And I wanted more. It seemed like scripture pointed towards a fuller life with God than than this reduced, simple message about heaven and hell. So where did you go to find it? Well, I started changing how I'd interact with the kids. And, um, what, what, and, and me reconceiving of what it meant for me to be a follower of God in the way of Jesus. And so I went through what I would describe as like a series of other conversions Oh, like interesting. Maybe my first one was a, my first one was a conversion to fear of God. You know, the next one was maybe a desire for meaning and trusting God, the God of Scripture, as a guide for life. And then I realized, well, I'm being invited into relationship with the divine. Um, there's something about the Holy Spirit, and I think by the time I got to be uh, 18 or 19. Um, being part of a new community seemed to be part of my understanding of faith and then feeling invited to join with God and being a seeker of justice and compassion Mm. was all part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. So was that all part of, part of the deconstruction kind of phase and you're like, obviously it was come, came later, but. Somewhere. I don't. I don't know if I'd call. I used the word deconstruction, but it'd probably be more accurate to say I was just really curious if there was something more. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think having a proclivity towards the countercultural, and not. I just didn't feel as a as my personality type. I didn't want to be in a room with everybody else thinking and doing the same things. Yeah. So I'm obviously on a search for something a little more boutique and <laughs> special. <laughs> I like that. I might call this episode the boutique gospel. We'll see. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah. yeah. I, no. Okay. So I get that. I get that you were, you were kind of on this mission. So where, where did you find it? Like how I'm curious how you, maybe there was a, a story or a book or I don't know how you kind of something that made you go. Yeah. Well, oh. as a teenager, um, the work of Francis Schaeffer was really oh, important yeah. to me. Uh, I read all of his books by the time I was 16, all 22 of his books, some of them two or three or four times. Wow. And I liked that he talked about my faith background, but also referenced Picasso and Bob Dylan and philosophers. Mm-hmm. And that, that appealed to me. Um, my in my family, I got exposed to some missionary biographies like Hudson Taylor, mm. George Muller, um, Amy Carmichael, people who lived a little more radical kind of life, and that appealed to me. So when I was 19, I convinced my then girlfriend to quit college with me after two years, move to the inner city, and go on this adventure of trying to live a feral life of faith. Wow. What happened? Um, we worked at an, we, 
we made a few commitments. I didn't know other people did this, but we were like, we're going to, we're committing to voluntary poverty or simplicity. Yeah. Um, we're, we're going to give up the idea of being professionals of any kind. We're going to try and trust God to provide for our finances, live a really simple life and give our lives away to people who are in suffering and struggle. And there was some beautiful things about that. And then obviously you run into your own ego and your own false self in the midst of that. So there was a bunch of pain and suffering and disappointment along along with that. Okay. See, that's the kind of thing I relate to that a little bit because that's the kind of thing that I seriously considered doing a lot at that age, you know, like what, how, how could I do this? Like the Jesus people. I don't know if that was, you know, like, it, yeah, you know, what yeah, I'm talking I remember about? that. Yeah. 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 In Chicago, all these different things. Um, so I, I totally relate to the, like why that's attractive. Let's go do something really radical. Right. Yeah. What did you learn from, from that experience? You know, one thing was, I was I had this pic I had this picture in my mind of the kind of person that I would be living this radical life, and um, you know, walking down the street in black jeans and combat boots, loving <laughs> inner city kids, and you know, uh, caring for people who were living on the street, and and I I tried to live that way, but I think the surprise was, oh, just just doing those outward things didn't make me any different inside. Yeah. And, and I didn't feel how I thought I was going to feel. I didn't magically become a different person. And I, I think in some ways my, I didn't really have the operating system to sustain that kind of way of life. Like I just got pretty tired and, was always sick. And um, yeah, I think there was probably some normal early 20s, mid 20s developmental struggle going on of trying to figure out who I am. Yeah. And, and, and I see this, I see this with a lot of people I know in their 20s today too, surprised by um, the brokenness in the world and the brokenness of systems. And then and disappointed by them. So I was, I was um, traumatized by really bad leadership in the urban uh, ministry I was involved in. And then later as a pastor also experienced some really bad leadership that was um, toxic and um, I would say even abusive, but these came as great surprises to me. Mm. And it was, it, I think I tended to, when things started getting hard, blame my parents, blame my faith tradition and blame the institutions that I was a part of. It wasn't, it wasn't me that was the problem yet, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. Well, how did it become you? How how did you, how did you, cause you mentioned earlier the false self. This is something I've been thinking about recently. So like, how did you find that you were like, Oh, this is me. This is my false self. How'd you get, how'd you get into that? I think realizing like I would get impatient with the kids that I worked with. There was a bit of an imposter recognition that 
I would be unkind to my wife or impatient with my kids or flipping channels late at night, hoping to see naked people and then get up and preach on Sunday morning. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Two services, 500 people <laughs> and feeling like I'm not a whole person. Like, and I'm, I'm talking out of my butt or talking out of, books this isn't my lived experience of an intimate life with god um i'm still highly motivated by shame and by should and it's it's wearing me out yeah and that that got me desperate for you know what what might actually and and i would say in general um the kind of christianity i came up with was fairly intellectual and word-based. Uh, it's cl- classic kind yeah. of modernist um, enlightenment Christianity. And it, by my mid-20s, I was like, I'm hungry for an experience of creator, an experience of like rest and peace inside. And so I started exploring more about kind of centering contemplative prayer, visiting monasteries, mm. um, going Ooh. on silent retreats. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell us about one of those experiences. Cause why, why were they attractive to you and what, like, just give us a picture. Cause I'd love for people to see that. Yeah. Um, when I was in seminary, um, one of our assignments was to go on a 24 hour silent retreat. And I'd never done anything like that before. I think for me, my spirituality was either singing worship songs or reading the Bible or theology books. And so on that retreat, I just didn't know what to do with myself. I, you know, like I made a commitment not to be reading books and just to be with my own thoughts and journaling. And um, it really kind of revealed yeah, I, I probably journaled for four or five hours to start. Well, wow. and that you know, it's like verbal vomit. Yeah. You know, it's like this is this is like the disorder that in my head, out out on ten pages. You know, and it felt lonely. Um, but eventually, I felt like I got settled down enough that I actually experienced divine presence in a way that. I rarely had before. Yeah. So it sounds to me like you were kind of wound up in some ways, right? You're probably cause you're working and the thing I'm, I've never been a pastor, so I can't say, but that what I observe and what I hear from people is that that job is just constant input output, right? It's just constant trying to, yeah. trying to create and just this little hamster wheel that you, you get on. And that actually can, if you don't have time to process everything, can be really difficult instead of life-giving. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, because I was, you know, like kind of catechized into a tradition that was a lot about ideas. Yeah. That's how I'd prepare my messages is do the exegetical work and then spend a little time thinking about its practicality or relevancy to people's lives and then do a book report in front of 500 people. Um, (laughs) But, but I, 
I was haunted by the fact that I had not experienced what I was talking about. Yeah. And I hadn't put into practice any of the insights that I'd gained even from my study and thought about it. And around that time, I, I made a commitment uh, kind of, you know, th- through a lot of brokenness to say, from now on, I'm only going to speak out of my lived experience. I'm going to try and be really honest. And, um, and that sort of began to change things for me mm. a bit to bring the, to bring the, the, the leader public role and the private person together yeah. a bit more. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I get really, I, th- I don't know. It's one of my hobby horses, I think for leaders, because we have this thing where it's very leaders need to not have any problems, right? Need to not have any kind of, mm-hmm. any kind of questions even about things. And that can be, that's not good. It's not human, mm-hmm. I think. So and it's not honest, which is interesting. We're, we ask a lot of our church leaders to be not honest with us. Yeah. Oy. Yep. Okay. Um, have you ever had a like a dark night of the soul? Would you consider that a dark night of the soul, or would, would you? I I think my um, I think my all of my twenties were a bit of a dark night of the soul, <laughs> sure. and it it kept going. I I was a pastor for three years, and then got invited into church planting, and then we took a big leap to move from northern Minnesota to inner city San Francisco, and I wanted to get out of the Christian bubble. And this was a great way to um, fig- fig- figure some of that stuff out. But we bought an old house in a, um, in a neighborhood of struggle when our kids were one, two, and three. Had to rehab the house, try and figure out how to become part of a Latin American inner city neighborhood. Uh, plagued by violence and a lot of drug addiction and gang activity. And... I was the wonder boy of my church group. Like I'd been a, been somewhat successful as a pastor and then now taking on this new adventure, taking on these big risks. And at the time it just didn't, I wasn't the success I thought I was going to be. And I felt like a failure and a disappointment and people could see he moved to San Francisco. He didn't really accomplish what he said he was going to. And at that time, um, I, it, it was my first real time being out of Christian subculture where I was hearing from people outside of our faith tradition, you know, you, you all are responsible for a lot of the most horrific things in the history of the planet, you know, wow. the slavery of African peoples that are, and the genocide of, of indigenous peoples justified both justified by the Bible, going back further, the inquisitions. And it got me thinking there's a, there's a, uh, Christianity can be really toxic. Like it can be life-giving, but it can also be really poisonous. And how do I, how do I get the, get into the kind that's, yeah. that's life-giving rather than toxic and colonizing? And that was really my my point of deconstruction or my p- deepest period of that where I really felt like I was ready to walk away from faith, walk away from Christian leadership, 
um, really pissed off at the ways of thinking that I had inherited from my family and faith tradition. Yeah. Um, disappointed with myself. What, what were you disappointed by your, with yourself about? Um, be that I just wasn't, um, I hadn't amounted to anything. Oh yeah. I was, (laughs) I'd failed at the thing I'd put the most energy into in life. Yeah. Interesting. So you were there, you went there to plant a church in this neighborhood and it was way harder than you expected. Way harder. Um, we, you know, we tried to love people very sincerely and very courageously. Um, I didn't get a lot. I, I didn't get a lot of affirmation from my faith background and the things that I was learning, this is, this is back up 20 years ago. So it's different today, but, um, we were trying to, we were trying to be, be like Jesus in our neighborhood. And, um, um, so I was into social justice and caring, being in relationship with my homeless neighbors and those struggling with mental health issues. And the critique from my background was Marx losing his faith. He's becoming liberal and hanging out with those hippies in San Francisco. Right. And um, so we were not received by our new neighborhood and we weren't, we're no longer affirmed by the people who sent us there. Uh, and I, and that made me feel really alone. Yeah. You were I out, actually think you were out yeah, on a spiritual ahead. Island. Yeah. And I actually think that it might be normal and archetypal mm. to go through this. If you keep going along enough in the spiritual journey, Jesus definitely experienced it. His mother and brothers thought he was crazy. Um, right. He was, he was chased out of the synagogue <laughs> And that his experience might be something we all share if we keep going down his road. Isn't it interesting? Because it can be really like, it's a little scary, right? That's a, that's a scary place to be where you feel like, Oh, I'm not really fitting in, in any place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Homeless. Right. Oh, spiritual homelessness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like I had a conversation with somebody about that once. But uh, it's probably in the archives. Um, but, but yeah, that because it's it's very very scary. How did you find your way through that, and what was that like? Were there any experiences that kind of defined it for you? Yeah, I think um, I I think it was helpful to have some friends who were going through similar experiences, and we would get, be able to get together and talk. And talk about like new concepts and different ways of seeing God and seeing the big story that were helpful. And then um, it really helped me to go from a theoretical faith to a more practical, embodied Mm. spiritual path. So break that down for us. What does that look like? So I... uh, I had, well, a, a couple things helped me. One was um, our little crew in San Francisco th- that started this organization. We had a chance to spend quite a bit of time with Dallas Willard, mm. who was a USC professor of philosophy and wrote some popular, though dense, books on yes. kingdom theology. They're all up here. <laughs> and he 
he provided he, he basically articulated the things that I'd sort of thought in my gut since I was a teenager that this the God story is bigger than individual salvation. It includes it, but it's bigger than that. It's about the renewal of all things. It's happening now. And it's something we could, any of us could be a part of. Yeah. And the good news starts with creation, a good world we were made to live in, in harmony with one another and our creator. And so I was animated by that. And I thought I might not be a conventional Christian anymore, but I really want to be a follower of Jesus. And so I'm going to try and do the things that Jesus did and taught. And I'll see, I'll be able to verify it by experience, whether this is a good way, whether it works. And um, that, that taking, t- taking those new risks and try, um, and being oriented more around practice and experience, mm-hmm. I think really helped me get through that. Yeah. Were there any pr- experiences or practices that really, that really became, like you mentioned um, silence and solitude before, but were yeah, there, were there any- I had at the time I had, I, I, I tend to think um, both creatively and systematically. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, I said, Jesus was a mystic who lived in experiential union with the divine. So I want to become a mystic. Jesus was a companion, meaning he lived with open arms to walk through life with others. Um, Jesus was a, a storyteller, an artist storyteller. So he used aesthetics to explore um, what the meaning of life is. And he was a healer. Wherever he went, he was connecting with people in struggle and walking with them. And so I just thought that's, those are four kind of paths I want to deepen my experience in. And so I um, started diving into the classical spiritual disciplines, the contemplative things and inviting others to do it with me. Um, We offered a lot of hospitality out of our household and tried to figure out what community might look like on a daily basis with people. I uh, started volunteering at a, um, a homeless kind of community center that provided food and friendship to people. Um, and then um, instead of my typical engagement with scripture, I started writing spoken word poetry, oh, interesting. painting, banging on a drum, uh-huh. um, like getting more, tan- you know, kind of um, aesthetic about my spiritual journey, uh, writing my own laments and, you know, things like that. Yeah. 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 I like that. So you embraced really the artistic side of yourself mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that interesting? Cause I think it has to come out at some point, right? It's very interesting. We, uh, we have a, you know, you're right. Uh, I grew up in that same thing of the very heady kind of knowledge but Paul says knowledge puffs up, right? But yeah, love builds up. And so yeah, uh, really creating is love in, in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can share. I, just, just, just to note maybe something a little more meta, you're probably familiar with Fowler's stages of faith. Yeah. I, in in um, mid, middle school, 
I was in stage three. I've chosen the right faith path and I'm with the right people and we're right. <laughs> and right. stage four is a time where you feel more alone and you question the group think that's involved in that. And it's a lonely part of the spiritual journey. It's often where the deconstruction happens. And if you're part of a stage three faith community, when you hit stage four, you get the clear message from everybody else. You're not singing with the choir anymore. Right. Um, we don't accept doubt or disappointment. Uh, you can't talk about your failures and depression and disappointments. You know, this is, we're happy go lucky here because we've joined the right team and believe the right things. Right. And, um, but the good, the good news is there is something on the other side of that. It, it can take a long time to get there, but stage five is more about embracing paradox. Um, it, I think transcending and including the experience, previous experiences you had. So instead of just being pissed off about how you grew up, what you believed and what you were taught, you go, those things helped me get going. The people were sincere. And it's helped me get here. Right. Yeah. So you can appreciate the journey a little more, right? Yeah. 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 I like that. I like that. Wow. Really powerful. Okay. Well, eventually you founded your organization. So tell us, tell us about that. And I, Cause I want to talk about that and some of your books uh, at least yeah. just mentioned. So um, eventually we are, work. well, I was doing all these sort of experiments. I would read the gospels and, try to do the things that Jesus did, which I've been doing since I was 13, but, I, but um, now I was inviting other people to do it with me. And it felt like a lot of the things I was, was longing for, I got to experience through that. And we created, uh, we first called it the Jesus Dojo. And um, what, I, what I meant by that was we're not, we're not going to be a community that, um, that just entertains theoretical ideas about the bigger questions of life. We're going to try and practice yeah. the Jesus way. And so we'd pick um, one teaching of Jesus and then develop an experiment to try and work it out. So one of the first ones was about what did Jesus have to say about money and stuff? And he said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. John said, if you have two coats, give one of them away. So I invited a group of people to sell or give away half their possessions so that we could give those resources to uh, help the poorest people on the planet. And it got it, it kind of shook us out of a more static, um, passive understanding of Christian spirituality to something much more dynamic, engaged, and relational. And um, by the end of that two months, a lot of the people said, I feel closer to this group than I feel I felt being part of community groups for two or three years. Wow. Because we were doing something together. Right. We were being honest and we were inviting each other into our lives. And so that just kind of started the pattern of every couple of months, we'd launch another six week experiment. Interesting. Yeah, I love that. Um, 
Okay. So I think that's where it's, yeah, that's just really powerful to, to start actually practicing some of the, some of the things and seeing what happens as a result. Um, okay. So do you, cause so you also started writing books. So how did you get, how'd you get started on them? Um, so I, I wanted to write a book since I was 15 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. I met up at McDonald's with my best friend and we outlined our first book that we didn't get very far in at all. Nice. <laughs> but, um, but I, I've always wanted to like create resources. So, um, so, um, I was part of the emerging church phenomenon and when I was, uh, I was helping um, put on some big emerging church conferences around the United States, 2003, 2004, 2005. And an editor from Josie Bast said, I think I've listened to you talk and I think you've got a book in you and I'd like to help you get it out, you know, get it out there. And, um, and I had at the time I would travel to churches and share some of the stories about what we were learning in our experiments in San Francisco. And so I wrote a book called soul graffiti that, um, Josie Bass published in 2007. And I meant for it to be a book that I could share with my, um, my friends who were agnostic or atheist mm -hmm. and, try and articulate my understanding of the Jesus way to them. And I also tried to also have it speak uh, back to the people that I came up with. So it was a bit ambitious, but it's full of stories and a bit of poetry. And it was a good experience for me to write it. Yeah. Well, it looks interesting. So that's called soul graffiti, making a life in, in the way mm -hmm. of Jesus. I love that. Mm -hmm. uh, very cool. So, uh, but you've written several others, including the one that uh, you came and spoke to our church about belonging and becoming, creating a family, a thriving family culture. I, mm -hmm. So we could just talk about that for a second, because I really did enjoy that. I a lot of the ideas. Um, so important because so many of us don't have family structures that actually help us be healthy, <laughs> right? Mm. Um, mm -hmm. so that was one thing that that I kind of took out of it was that, okay, we can learn how to communicate better and help each other. And, um, instead of just like be, you know, absolute chaos at home all the time. Right. So, <laughs> well, I think, I think like broad stroke, the way you and I grew up, there was a lot of shame and shoulds yeah. that were used to motivate good behavior, good, good lifestyle, even good family. And shame and should can only get you so far. Right. And eventually you have to tap into a different motivation. And I think Lisa and I were able to make a transition when our kids were small to say, we get to, as a family, be fully alive to what creator is doing to make the world what it could be. Right. And so let's do it. Let's love each other well. Let's care about our neighborhood. Let's use time and money in just ways that support the sustainability of the planet. You know, um, right. let's play with this. Let's have some fun. Let's let's live on purpose. Yeah, I love that. I think that's 
Really powerful. So I, I think, uh, friends, you can get that at obviously Amazon or anywhere you can, you can get good books, any of those. I'll put links to all of your books, um, including uh, the one that I – this is the one I really want to read, Practicing the Way of Jesus' Life Together in the Kingdom of Love. So um, yeah, that looks – That's been my that's been my biggest book, and it kind of is uh, – it's about that Jesus dojo thing I was describing. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. I like that idea. I'm just, I'm in this place where, man, I, I'm, I'm relating to you. I want to do, I want to do that stuff. I want to see what Jesus does, you know, cause that's the beauty, right? That's the beauty of the journey. That's what we're here for. So, mm-hmm. uh, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So let me just, uh, yeah, friends, uh, you can find all of that stuff at halfway there podcast.com. Um, Mark, I appreciate you sharing your story. I appreciate you being here. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more that we, we didn't get to. We could talk for a while because I, I love picking your brain. Um, is there anything you want to leave us with? Well, just an observation that I think um, it's interesting how many people I've had conversations with lately who are going through a similar kind of deconstruction. And um, it can feel really lonely and isolating but I just want to say there's something on the other side you know and there's a there's a there's a way of navigating that's within the Christian tradition yeah still that is more earthy more authentic and that really really does meet the needs of our soul you just got to keep going yeah absolutely imagine that imagine heaven come to earth and you get to experience it not just in the future yeah. but right now right now that's in the, this moment that's the beautiful thing but you have to keep going don't give up so many people do and that's a travesty but don't yeah. you just keep going keep and going for, and forgive the people who've hurt you yeah let it go absolutely it's okay yeah. Yeah. yeah i love that mark thanks so much for sharing that with us i appreciate it yeah great to be with you eric <laughs>